When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's podcast from the Worst Girl Gang Ever and we're lucky enough to be joined here, again, not live, not in the studio, (laughs) by Hannah. Hi Hannah. Hello. Lovely to have you here, thank you so much. Just before Laura says hello, I'm going to warn you that um, she's been out on the grog and her voice is uh, (laughs) sounding super sexy. Hello Laura. Super sexy. This is (laughs) the sexiest I've ever sounded. So yeah. you're privileged to be hearing this. She hasn't got Corona though. Don't worry about it. No. She is trying to convince me during the week that she has, but don't, don't buy any of that rubbish. <laughs> so um, Hannah, if you could just talk us through your, your molar pregnancy, whenever you're ready. Sure. So we started trying for a baby in May last year, 2019, and fell really quickly, sort of first try. Great, we thought. Um, I'd had very little morning sickness, no bloating. I wasn't particularly showing. The only the only thing I'd had was some acne on my chest, which sort of cleared up around eight or nine weeks. So um, when you say the only thing you had, the, that was the only pregnancy symptom? Yes. So your yeah. first, you found out you were pregnant because you missed a period, right? Well, we'd, because we'd sort of been trying, I took a pregnancy test a day or two before... I expected my period oh, okay. to okay. arrive and I was like well you know, it's, it's not going to show anything because you know you're supposed to wait until six days after um, mm. your missed period but it, it came back positive straight away right. um, which was quite a surprise I wasn't expecting it to be that, <laughs> that easy yeah. um, you know you, you read and hear of people trying for years and years and you know to sort of fall first time is it that easy? Is it you? Yeah. And alas, it is not. <laughs> um, no. So everything was fine. We went for the 12 week scan in August, went for the ultrasound and the sonographer couldn't see anything. Right. So we then did an internal scan just to see that, you know, my uterus wasn't tipped back so that the ultrasound couldn't pick anything up or. So um, at the point where the, the sonographer couldn't see anything was that a worry for you because I know earlier in our chat you said that you felt something wasn't right mm. yeah it was the point that yeah she sort of gone can't I can't see anything and, I, and then I thought mm, 
do you know what actually maybe maybe my gut feeling a little bit earlier in the day and for the sort of a few weeks prior to the scan had been founded after all I'd even said to my husband and a, and a colleague earlier in the day that I thought they were going to tell us something was wrong um, Why was that? That, because of the lack of symptoms partly that the acne on my chest had cleared up a few weeks prior I wasn't really showing which you know I, I hadn't really expected first pregnancy and all, all that you know I've done the walls are still quite tight things like that so I hadn't really expected to show anyway I just got a feeling intuitive feeling but I was more expecting them to say the baby died a few weeks ago or you know we can't find the heartbeat or what have what you what did they say we can't see anything it looks like a molar and at, at that point, point did you know what a molar was did you know what that meant no not, not at, all. at all which was quite terrifying really because when you're sort of left to get dressed again you you haven't we had enough time to google what that was which is quite terrifying if anyone ever has a molar pregnancy my recommendation is don't google it ask for a miscarriage association leaflet because google is terrifying and the hospital i was at have since been brilliant a different ward the early pregnancy assessment unit have been absolutely fantastic and they have got all the leaflets unfortunately they weren't in the ultrasound suite where it was required was it the sonographer, obviously, that said, looks like a molar? Yeah. Okay. Um, Talk us through what happened after that. So after that, we got taken into a little side room and given two leaflets on miscarriage, which, although molar pregnancy is a form of miscarriage, because of how well the tissue grows, mm. it doesn't necessarily miscarry in the way you'd expect or sure. imagine a miscarriage to happen so we were taken off to a little room given two leaflets about miscarriage and then told that I had to come back in the following day to consent to uterine evacuation so so you didn't have an option of letting it happen naturally or no. medical management no. and do you know no, why that was no I think because of the risk around the complications of molar pregnancy the best option is to get the tissue out as quickly as, as, much, possible. as, much uh, as yeah. possible as quickly as possible and that's, yeah. so that's across the board that's just because it was a molar pregnancy you didn't have the option of the other two I think so um, okay. there was there was no other mention of any other management okay. of yeah. it it was a case of come back in tomorrow and consent to the operation and then come back in on Wednesday to have the operation so sort of within 36 hours it was all done if you like and with um, regards to the pregnant the molar pregnancy itself did you know at that stage did they say anything about whether it was partial or whether it was full or what either of the implications to that was no the hospital the local hospital i'll be honest were woefully unprepared um, right. they don't see very many and that that's evident but they were they were woefully unprepared for for that they had no leaflets there they didn't explain what the two different types of molar pregnancy were what the implications are you know, even so much as when I'd had the first operation on Wednesday, they discharged me in the afternoon and gave me a pregnancy test and said, do this in three weeks time and ring us back if it's still positive. We, we assumed everything was just going to be OK after that. Sure. And then so on the Monday after the first op, I started bleeding quite heavily. I was in an awful lot of pain. Um, right. so I went back in to the early pregnancy assessment unit on the Monday night. They did um, a physical examination had me back in the next day for a further internal scan. I then had a second operation. By the Thursday of the second week, Sheffield had confirmed that it was a complete molar pregnancy. Right. My internal scan on the Tuesday had shown that there was still some tissue remaining. Okay. And because of that, 
And because I'd already had one operation, there was a question over whether my local hospital or whether Sheffield would want to do a second operation to remove as much tissue as possible. As it was, my local hospital did it on the Friday. So I'd had two operations within those 10 days. With regards to the results saying that it was a complete molar pregnancy, can you explain a bit just how a complete molar pregnancy occurs? How does that happen? So the complete molar pregnancy happens when a sperm fertilizes an empty egg. So there was none of my DNA in that egg. And as right. a result, the, the male DNA replicates to, to fill the 46 chromosomes. But because they're all paternal, it just grows as placental tissue. So it, it resembles your bunches of grapes, fluid filled sacs, and it just fills the uterus with these little grape-like sacs. And, and that's the difference between the partial and the complete is that with a partial sometimes there is evidence of a fetus growing before the placental tissue takes over whereas with the complete because there's no maternal dna it's all paternal it just just grows and there's there's what on earth it's doing yeah there's nothing there to tell it that a fetus should be growing with my molar we had we got a heartbeat at eight weeks and then had a scan at 11 weeks and by that point, the, the molar had taken over the placenta. So that's when the fetus stopped growing. But it's because there are two sperm fertilising one egg. So there's enough genetic material there to start making the baby. But obviously, completely r- wrong number of chromosomes, way too many for it to ever be viable and develop into a fully formed fetus. So with regards to the molar pregnancy, because obviously it's super rare, but we've heard so yeah. Yeah, many from so many it? women. Do you know what the statistics are? Is it one so in six hundred? One in six hundred in the yeah. UK, yeah. And is that complete or partial or a combination of the two? Both. It's it's yeah. the diagnosis at the, the scan. Wow. So that's yeah, it's rare, but considering the number of women that we've heard from who have had either yeah. complete or partial, it's it's crazy. It yeah. happens too much. It, it does. And you kind of, you know, you hear the statistics of miscarriage, you one in four. So as a, as a first pregnancy, you kind of almost expect that it's not going to happen first time because of the statistics. But actually, to then go, well, actually, you're one in 600. Yeah. You know, actually, that's that's quite staggering. It's It's rare, but it's not that rare. But if you saw that, yeah, I think if it was me, if I saw that written down, I'd almost write it off, you know, if one in 600. Yeah, yeah, of course. But there has got to be some one, you know, there is a one in 600. So following the diagnosis and your referral to Sheffield, what, how did your treatment begin? How quickly, what was it? How long did it go on for? Tell us a bit about your treatment. So Sheffield, they send a urine pot in the post. So you, you pot and you send it back to them and they, they look at your HCG level, which is your pregnancy hormone. And basically what they're looking for is for that to fall every time you send a sample back. They rang me after the first one and told me what it was and said, it's not a massive cause for concern. You've obviously only just had the operation. So we'll keep an eye on you. After the second one fell, they rang and said, we're going to put you on weekly testing because we want to keep a closer eye on you. So this was week four, I think. Um, and at this point, did you know what the implications were if your, if yeah. your HCG levels didn't? You knew that it was chemotherapy yeah. you were probably looking at. Yeah, so we'd right. we'd done an awful lot of research by that okay, point. Of course, um, yeah. we'd been on Sheffield's website. We'd we'd been on the Miscarriage Association website. Looked at all the leaflets. Um, had a really good chat with the nurses at Sheffield. There was always sort of a, a parting. We're keeping an eye on you, 
just to make mm-hmm. sure things go back to normal but there is always a chance that we will need to start treatment. So that was always... How did you feel with that in the back of your mind? Terrified and and devastated, actually, because obviously it's the first pregnancy and it was a very much wanted pregnancy as well. So, And the implications with the complete molar pregnancy, as you mentioned in your podcast before, with partial molar pregnancies, they say six months after everything's sort of gone back to normal before you try again with with complete molar pregnancy it's 12 months after the end of your treatment so it doesn't matter when that miscarriage if you like happened or when your molar pregnancy was diagnosed forget that as soon as your treatment ends that's when you're your 12 months I mean that's a horrible thing to have hanging over your head especially as you can't get on with it because you have to have this testing weekly yeah you must have felt like you couldn't grieve for your miscarriage because you're physically you weren't there you weren't able to process anything mentally I imagine while you still had this physical idea of treatment ahead of you definitely it became very much I would only get a day or two a week where it wasn't there all the time Mm. so by the time you'd got the you'd got the sample pot in the post and then you'd done that the next day and then you posted that off and then your results come in a few days later and then the next pot arrives in the post a day later you actually only get one or two days to actually be normal if you like just so it's just one lot of tests to the next aren't you absolutely Mm. yeah and did you feel at the time like you had the space to to grieve did you did you grieve at all I think we did to start with so after we after I'd had the operations I had two weeks where I wasn't in and out of hospital and I hadn't got the first sample pot so sort of the two weeks I was you know we were both very lucky my boss at work his wife had experienced a number of miscarriages so he was really really understanding my husband's boss despite being in the middle of harvest and training season he was really understanding as well so we were lucky that we actually had we were able to have a week together at home and just deal with what had happened um before we really looked at what was going to happen. I mean, obviously you always hope that your HCG level is going to fall massively. And it didn't for me. It's, it, it fell a bit, but then it started to rise again. And it's that right. rise. So that there's, there's sort of two indicators for start of treatment is either your HCG level plateaus and doesn't move mm. or it begins to rise again. And mine actually started to rise again. It rose over two consecutive tests blood tests and urine tests and then in september i went into sheffield for further scans and so i had more blood tests i had another internal scan and i had a chest x-ray as well why was that so with molar pregnancy if the hormone levels start to rise again and there is evidence in a scan that there is still tissue in the uterus actually that tissue can break out and travel around the body and the blood And it oh, sort of settles. Spreading. Yeah, it settles in the lungs. So that's why they chest x-ray. Luckily, my chest x-ray was clear and my um, internal scan was clear and it was just okay. my blood results that had risen again. And so, is that is that so they're testing for HCG. So presumably yeah. if you were to do a pregnancy test at any point, it would still be positive at this yes. at this point. Okay. Yeah. So my my body was technically pregnant from May through to December last oh, year. Wow. So I was started on a chemotherapy drug called methotrexate. Um, it's an intramuscular injection. It goes in the bottom. So that started on the 30th of September. 
and I had that all the way through until the 12th of January this year. Okay. Did you have any of the common symptoms of chemotherapy? Did you lose your hair? No. Um, okay. I was really, really lucky. Mesotrexate in the dose that it's given for molar pregnancy at that stage is really, really mild. So I was very lucky. I experienced some fatigue early on, um, sort of as my body got used to it, mm. but nothing nothing significant really um okay. so I got away quite lightly Hannah can I ask you what was it like explaining to your parents or your family your friends did any, had any of them ever heard of a molar pregnancy and how did they take the news that you were going to be having chemotherapy don't know whether my mom bless her I don't actually know whether my mom still understands quite right. what has happened you know we we rang on on the way back from the hospital in the car and because obviously she knew I was having the scan and she said, oh, you know, and I was like, obviously we were both crying, but I basically just said, there is no baby. And she was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, yeah. it, it, there is no baby. It, it's a molar pregnancy. So having to sort of explain that to my parents, they told my brother, I, I, they, I just let them sort of deal mm, with that with yeah. the family. Cause beat the um, old jungle drums. Yeah. It was, it was easier for, for them to do that bit. Mm. I actually wrote a blog a couple of days after my second operation and I, I put that out on my Facebook page and mm-hmm. two people I know actually contacted me and said that they'd had molar pregnancies. No way. One, one had had a partial and one had had a complete and yeah, it was just that phenomenal was actually. Nice to hear um, from them. Yeah. Was yeah. that helpful in terms of what to expect from... Did you speak to them about what might be coming, about how you would feel about it? Did that help you uh, mentally? Yes and no. It, it did. woman who'd had the mole, complete mole, she'd had various other fertility issues in the past. So I can't, you, you can't compare your experience, your journey to anybody else's for whatever reason. You know, you're, you're in the same storm, but you're not in the same boat by any stretch of the imagination. There will always sure. be a quirk to your story. However, the lady who had the partial molar has since gone on to have a successful healthy pregnancy and she's got a little girl now so that that has helped because I know now that it is possible it it can happen um, it can happen a healthy pregnancy afterwards yeah so I actually met with her and had a coffee not long before I started my treatment so that that was that was really helpful and and still to this day I I bear her in mind when I'm feeling a bit down and go do you know what actually it's possible yeah and and there is there is light at the end of the tunnel at the time it doesn't seem like it does it especially when you've got such this long wait ahead of you riding it out but and how how have you coped with things like friends pregnancy announcements and you know seeing people getting pregnant seeing people pregnant in out in public how does that make you feel have you been able to deal with that okay it's really really hard it's hard because some of the people I know now who are pregnant you just kind of think to yourself why why you with your particular lifestyle have you managed this yet I am the age I am I'm fit I'm healthy and you know why why has this happened to me yeah some are easier than others and sometimes I find myself you know if we're out um you know like we were on holiday last week and you know we were sat outside a pub and and a a woman walked past quite obviously seven or eight months pregnant and you why what and then you go actually hang on check yourself Hannah because you don't know how it's taken her to get where she is yeah you you don't know that it was easy for her you don't know very good to think like that 
I didn't. I just (laughs) just hated everybody. It's hard sometimes. It is hard. I have unfollowed a lot of people on social media. I think you have to to remain sane, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And how have you looked after your mental health? I did have some CBT therapy. Cognitive behavioural therapy. Therapy, yeah. Um, Sort of trying to look at how you respond to how you're feeling and what that trigger is and how you can rechannel your thoughts, basically. How's it working for you? It's been useful, but I think I had it too late. Right. So I started the therapy after I'd finished all my treatment and just before I went back to work I had four months off work and I think it would have been more useful if I'd have had the CBT after the diagnosis and and at the beginning of my chemotherapy I think that probably would have helped a lot more was anything offered to you around that time no no the the nurses at Sheffield have said always you always ring they give you obviously leaflets and things but there's no offer of any counseling or therapy or anything anything like that I actually actually sourced that myself through my health insurance right and your so your recovery now so you stopped the treatment in January yeah do you have to have any more tests now is that it or are you in remission or how does that all work so technically in remission when you finish treatment you have six weeks of weekly blood tests and then after that six weeks you then have six months of monthly blood and urine tests and is that again to test for hcg levels yes okay yeah so i posted my six of six monthly urine samples off yesterday and i've had my fifth of six monthly bloods done today that's gone in the post tonight and then i'm hoping that next week or within the next couple of weeks sheffield will ring or text and say that i shouldn't get another urine sample bottle for 13 weeks and then i'll be tested urine only for 13 weekly for two years okay um, and then after that time it's six monthly for eight to ten years so it's, it's a long follow-up because the mole can actually relapse at any point it's it the relapse risk will never go away it right. just gets further away from the first one so there is always a chance that another pregnancy will trigger a mole again um, and then i'll be monitored more carefully you're obviously more at risk now from having another molar pregnancy yeah. but is there something to do with you that made that first molar pregnancy happen or could it literally happen to anyone it could literally happen to anybody well, it's either they say it's not genetic don't they but i know it's not, no. a woman that i used to work with had a molar pregnancy then had twins and one of her twins who i also used to work with had a molar pregnancy i mean what are the chances of a mother and a daughter both Mm. having molar pregnancies that's quite frightening so so i think you think it is genetic well i think that there's obviously not enough people having molar pregnancies Mm. for there to be substantial research yeah but i don't think that's a coincidence do you reckon two women in the same family Mm. mother and daughter i feel like you're onto sort of a conspiracy theory It's an interesting thought because w- women are born with all of their eggs. So oh, it's, okay, because it's, it's the lack of genetics. The lack of genetics, it. yeah. So it's either that the egg was empty or at the time of fertilisation, the genetics was actually lost. And there's, there's nothing dictating when or how that's going to happen. And actually, for my age, I'm right smack bang in the age group that this shouldn't happen to. Mm. It happens like in, in really young, you know, teenage pregnancies. Or how old are you, if you don't mind my asking? 32. 
That's interesting. So what is it then about two sperm hitting the egg at the same time? Is that a, only in a partial molar that happens? No, two, two sperm can fertilise an empty egg. And again, you get the doubling up of paternal DNA. And in, in the complete molar, it's, it's the lack of the mother's genetics that causes the complete. Okay. okay, so two sperm hitting one egg at one time is not necessarily going to cause a molar pregnancy. I don't know why I'm doing this with my fingers. <laughs> well, yes, it will. But whether it's an empty egg or not will depend yeah. on whether it's a complete or a partial. So yeah. complete, there's no maternal DNA. So Hannah, how long until you're able to start trying again? So I'm now six months post chemo. Um, so the guidelines are 12 months from the end of treatment. So that'll be mid-January next year. The, the nurses at Sheffield are brilliant. I had a face-to-face meeting with them in March and I've had a telephone consultation with them in June. Um, and then I've got okay. another one coming up in August, I think. So three monthly intervals they'll check you know they chat through how I'm feeling about things how you know these um any residual side effects um of the chemotherapy you know, concentration levels depression anxiety that kind of thing yeah and they will they'll obviously talk to you about how you're feeling about future pregnancies about trying again I certainly feel that there's a lot of anxiety for me around course, trying again yeah there, there is a significant risk of a second mole there's no more risk to me than anyone else of a miscarriage a normal miscarriage if you like but there is obviously an increased risk of a second mole of pregnancy so that that causes obviously anxiety and, and worry so in but, any future pregnancies whether they be carried to term or an earlier miscarriage you have to have your hcg tested afterwards yes so they will as soon as i think i'm pregnant i tell them they'll get me back into the system but touch wood fingers crossed that that won't happen for fingers you. crossed it'll all run smoothly <laughs> next time fingers crossed but tell us and a bit about this bike ride oh yeah, yeah. the challenge the bike ride so i had on my I called it my waiting game list. So obviously we knew we had a year. So we listed out all the things that we hadn't done, we'd put off doing. And we were like, right, we're going to fill this year. We'd got friends who were supposed to be getting married. So we were like, holidays here. We'll go Oh no, go then lockdown we'll happened. Then Corona hit. Then no. Corona hit. Yeah. So oh, fuck you, Corona. <laughs> yeah. So basically this year of weddings and holidays and all this thing is like... Fun distractions. It just hasn't happened. Mm. And one of those things was I wanted to do the Yorkshire Three Peaks. It's uh, it's like 24 miles walking and you have to do it within 12 hours Mm -hmm. um, to complete. I had scheduled it for the end of May um, and obviously lockdown happened, so that got canned. But my husband actually found a a virtual challenge website and he just idly, when we were on holiday, just idly went, oh, you can cycle from Land's End to John O'Groves. And I was like, yeah, all right, let's, <laughs> let's, let's do that. Um, I was like, how yeah. far is it? It's 1,083 miles. That's oh, nothing. So it's right uh, up I, your street, Laura. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I started that on Wednesday and I'm 70 miles in at the minute. So, so okay. what do you do it on? So I um, don't say a bike. On my bike. Um, so basically you sign up to the website and you download their app and every time you go out and ride. So you can rides walks and runs i think all count towards your mileage okay so is there a time um, limit you set your time limit um, so okay. i've set mine for 11 weeks which finishes on the 30th of september um, can you set it for like five years because then i might manage it <laughs> so how no, far I'm, are you I'm, through 
70 miles. Oh, 70, 70 miles, miles. Sorry. Yeah, okay. 70, 70 miles out in. of 1,083. 1, <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. So I've got, I've got wow, 10 You've only got 1,000. You've only got 1,013. 14. 14. <laughs> 14. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Well, thank yeah. you so much for chatting to us. Um, I'm thank so you. sorry for everything you've been through. It sounds like a horrendous journey for you. Your bike yeah. ride will be absolute bliss in comparison to that journey. Yeah. It's been really nice so far. The weather's been good. So we've been going out at six o'clock in the morning before work and uh, it's been really nice. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. We'll keep thank in touch. You. Keep following us and we'd love to hear I will, how you get definitely. on. Thank you. All right. Cheers, Hannah. And thanks everyone again for tuning in. Tuning in. Sounds like you're listening to the BBC One News in 1950. Thank you so much for listening in and we shall see you next week. Bye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.